0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at ww.corn or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. The last couple of weeks we've been going through a kind of series about life lessons that we need to teach our kids and pass on to our kids, and I, I think that I would stick with that passing on more so than just teaching them because uh, so much as we've said in the past is, you know, unless we have it in our own lives and there's some active demonstration that in our own lives, Father, uh, folks, it's, it's almost impossible to pass on. We can do it in an outward mode. We can do it in a, a way that is very external, and yet for them to truly know these biblical truths... And to hold them in their hearts, uh, they need to see that you know the change that Christ has made in our own lives. So we've you know talked about choices and consequences. Is that a spiritual truth, along with being a very practical truth? No. Well, we don't ignore the practical nature of these things, even as we acknowledge that they are really at the core a spiritual thing. Well, what about respect for authority? Is there a practical nature to that? Of course there is. You go too fast and, you know, you break the law in this way or that way. There's a practical nature to every one of these things. And yet, at the core, there really is a spiritual core, a foundation there. Uh, that, I hope, comes together this morning as we've come to this last life lesson, and that's about how to teach our children that it's not all about them. Now, is there a very practical part of that? Yes. <laughs> And yet, can we say, parents and grandparents today, have you figured out the core nature of that very truth in your own life? No. We're still kind of selfish. We have those moments that, uh, that we would think of ourselves more than others. Uh, there's a lot of things that we really don't ace this test. And so this morning, to get really to the core of why we struggle with these things... Uh, we're going to go back and, you know, again, as I often do, we look at Genesis 3 and look what happened when we fell. And from that time of the fall that Adam and Eve fell from the perfection that they were created from, from that moment on, folks, we have been dealing with a nature of sin. And that nature of sin is in the cutest of babies, the most darling of children and grandchildren. And so when we look at them and we see that, we're going, okay, now, I don't know. There's there's no really way that that beautiful little child could have the nature of sin, and yet they were born with the nature of sin. And it's one of those things that we begin to see that not only are they born with this nature of sin that tells them, hey, the world revolves around me. We kind of reinforce that. And then we find out, As they get a little bit older, that there is this nature that's gonna come out that's not always cute and cuddly. Would you agree with that parents and grandparents? And it's just because of bad teaching? Is it just because you're not good enough as a parent? You're just not? Or is it that it's inward, it is internal, and it is part of our core nature? See, it makes sense to us that when they're little, that they're dependent and A baby is wet and it cries to be changed, that it's hungry and it cries to be fed and that it's frightened and wants to be held and comforted. And and yet we realize that in that young stage, they are so needy that the world really does kind of stop and center around them. But how unfortunate that would be as they grow older and older and older if we do not bring in the spiritual principle that, that it's not all about them. And yet the challenge here is that we, I I would challenge, haven't figured out some of that in our own lives. Nobody's going to argue that it's wrong when a baby cries out and you go to comfort that child and and that you stop all things to give comfort to them. But at what pace and and at what age and in what ways do you begin to, to say, okay, look, this isn't just all about you. How do we start to take this nature that is there... At the core, that is part of their spiritual nature at birth. And how do we start really training that by the word of God, by the spirit of God, by the gospel of God, and by the hope of Christ? Is that not our challenge? And yet, how many, again, you don't have to raise your hand, would admit that at 61 years old, I'm still trying to figure that out. Have you ever been amazed about how quick selfishness, self-centeredness comes into our lives. I mean, we can desire to be the most caring of people, the most giving of people, and yet this core nature that's in there, well, I believe that we're going to battle with for the rest of our lives, even as redeemed Christians. And so is there hope for our children? Is there hope that we can really pass on, not just the morality of it's not all about you, but really pass on them the nature that, and the truth that without Christ giving you a brand new heart in place of your old stone heart, that, that there's no way that you're ever going to be able to do that except through kind of external forces. When we begin to see a humanity where the world revolves around each of us as individuals, we see how unhealthy that is. And at what point does it really go from the innocence of a child, what we say is the innocence of a child, into really rearing its ugly head? So this morning we're going to look at what Scripture says, and there's probably about 5,000 different places I could have drawn this from, and yet I'm going to try to go to uh, something that Paul said that I think is uh, key for us to understand this. But a lot of what we're going to say this morning is, is somewhat practical in nature, because to raise children in a time and a way that it's not all about them, we would say that's really unhealthy, that that's not going to be successful in the world. But folks, it's more than just the morality that this isn't wise. Now, what we need to understand, it's not holy. And God has called us to holiness. Understand that this nature is an infection. And we were born with this infection. And the only one that can really rid us of this infection and start to make improvement in our lives. It's the work of Christ. The self-centered nature is at the core of our sin nature. Now, I realize already, Bobby, all you keep on coming back to our sin nature, our sin nature, Uh, you know, this is really kind of depressing so far. Until we realize self-centeredness, selfishness, the core of our nature in sinners. And that that's a spiritual problem. We will try external ways of making a difference instead of the internal difference that only Christ can make. If it's a spiritual problem, it needs to have a spiritual answer. And yet you and I are, in, it's impossible for us to save anybody. It's impossible for us to to uh, work in our child's life in in such a way that we would give them salvation. Not only that's the work of God. And yet the one thing that I hope that we get from this morning and from the other three weeks, it is every parent's responsibility to create a culture for the gospel. Can you guarantee that your son, your daughter, your granddaughter, your grandson is going to trust Christ and his work in their life? No. Can you create a gospel culture in your home so that they are continually, you know, kind of, if you want to say, kind of slapped in the face with their own sinfulness and the hope of Christ, and and not in a negative way, but in a positive way, that this is how redemption takes place in our lives. And we can. And that's the challenge, and that's the charge that I believe that the gospel gives us. Let me ask you this this morning. If you agree, and you don't have to agree, but if you agree that every single human being has this self-centered nature from birth, how do we fight this infection? If this is part of our core nature, how do we fight self-centeredness that the world kind of revolves around us? How do we fight it in our own lives, not just in the lives of our children? I think there's only two things. One is biblical truth. And the other one is the hope of the gospel. That is that Christ lived, he died, and he rose again to redeem us. Now, why do I point those out separately? The hope of God's truth and biblical truth. Do you have to be a Christian in order, let's go back four weeks. Choices have consequences. Does that apply only to Christians? No, it's a practical truth of life. Okay? Should a Christian view that differently because of the gospel than somebody who doesn't know the redemption of Jesus Christ? Yes. Number one, we take very seriously that call. Number two, we see that there's a hope in there beyond ourselves. How I many would you agree that our parents, our grandparents, that parenting is the hardest job you've ever had? There's so much of your heart there. I mean, if there was classes on parenting, I, I guarantee you, back when I did parent conferences and stuff like that, you know, it didn't matter. I mean, it was through a church and so most of the people that came were Christians, but there were a lot of people that were not Christians. And yet they still wanted help with parenting. Why? Because it's kind of this thing that happens with all of us. If you're a parent, you know that the challenge is there. And so as we begin to explore this morning, how do we even deal with this selfishness? Understand that there's two ways that we fight that. One is with biblical truth. You don't have to be a Christian for biblical truth to still have impact in your life. I I know a guy years ago, he was not a Christian. He was kind of far from it as far as his Beliefs. He would have considered himself, uh, agnostic at best, atheist at most, and yet he wanted to run his business. He said, I'm gonna take the biblical principles of running your business, of running a business, I'm gonna do it, you know, by what the Bible says. Do you think that he had a successful business? He did. Because God's truth is truth. <laughs> Even to a non-Christian. And yet there's this higher call when we are Christians, That all of a sudden, when the Bible tells me as a husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church, does it take it to another level because of the gospel? But get this. It also takes it to another level of uh, availability because now the very power of the Holy Spirit of God rests within me. And now instead of a heart of stone I have, A heart of flesh. Do you understand the distinction I'm trying to make? And I don't know that I'm making it well. God's truth is always going to apply whether you're a Christian or not. But once we do trust Christ and His work for the redeeming nature of our lives and that we become brand new people and a new creation in the work of Jesus Christ. Now there's an added call But there's also an added power in our lives to do things that we do every day. To go to work, to to be a a spouse, to be a parent. And so this morning, how do we teach our kids? Well, before they're a Christian, that is, you know, our our kids may not come to know Christ until they're 6 or 12 or 16 or 26. And so do we wait till then, till this redeeming work happens in their lives, to begin to teach them? No. From the very beginning, we can teach them biblical truths. Are we still teaching them at that point biblical truths, and they still have a heart of stone, as the Bible says? An unredeemed heart? Yes. And yet, is there value of teaching not just morality, but biblical truths to somebody who's a sixth you old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old. Yes. Biblical truths guides us into right thinking. And biblical truths teach our kids that it's right because it's God's truth, but also it starts to point out their own sinful nature. And the minute I say that, I realize, man, probably, man, why do you, why are you still hung up on this whole sin nature thing? Why are you so hung up? Because, folks, that's our only hope, is that we understand that the reason that Christ came is not just to make us more moral people, but to bring us from death to life. Yes. Would you rather have a child that is successful and grows up and accomplishes much and is carrying this, that and the other, and yet never knows the redeeming work of Christ, has all the accolades of earth, and yet not the one thing that really changes their hearts, their minds, and everything for in eternity. So oftentimes, as parents, we try to train and we try to teach. For success instead of salvation. And I get that. Tried to do that for my kids. And again, do I have the ability to save? No. But I can put them in a gospel culture. I can surround them with a culture that they begin to identify that they are sinners, rebellious to a holy God, and that they need God's answer, which is Jesus Christ. Yet on a very practical basis, How many of us would just be kind of satisfied in one way with a kid that's just successful, giving, caring, and yet, for the most part, we don't know about their salvation. There's a part of us, there's a part of us, guys, that would be satisfied because, again, here's a wonderful child. And yet, if we as parents and grandparents do not consider that the most important thing in the entirety of their lives is that they would know God... And his redemption through Jesus Christ. How hard this is. And that's why we come back. Deuteronomy six through seven, uh, six, five through seven says this. That we are teaching the truths of God's Word. It says, You shall love the Lord the God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you that they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And these biblical truths, do you think that that means just telling them what's right and wrong? Okay, It includes right and wrong. It includes a certain morality of this is the right way to do it. This is the holy way to do it. But but what this has really teached them about is not just what's right and wrong, just a morality, but our need for God and that we would develop a culture of the gospel within our homes. Have you ever met some people that they just love Jesus so much that they make you wonder if you even are a Christian? Have you ever met people like that and you're going, oh my goodness, they love Jesus so much. And then you see their children and their children seem to love Jesus too. And you're going, okay, that was just kind of predictable because these people love Jesus so much. It was just kind of predictable. As we cannot save our children, we cannot guarantee their children were saved. But we can grow them up and establish them In gospel-conscious homes where constantly the Word of God, the Spirit of God is active and alive. And then we just trust God that at the right age at the right time that He's going to open their eyes to their sin and show them the beauty of our Savior. That's your job, parents. That's your job. I'm not dismissing teaching your kids morality. That's the biblical truth part. But we do so not sterile from this other. We don't do it separate from that. It's all incorporated. We teach them why there's a morality, why there's this call for holiness in our lives. We do this by training them to right thinking and preparing them to see their need for a Savior. Again, we can't save our children, but we can grow them up and, and let them be established in a culture Where the gospel is just present. Where as parents we're confessing our own sin one to another. Where we're crying out and showing our children our need for Jesus Christ. Really, really tough question guys. Really tough question. Do you think most of our, of your parenting focused on The moral part or the gospel part? Do this. This is the right way to do things. And, you know, there's going to be punishment or you're going to get a spanking or something. Is it going to be on that part, which is important. We're not discarding this, or that we are sinners in need of salvation. I think most of us could probably point back and say, you know, the majority of our parenting was really kind of guided toward morality. Morality rather than just the need for Jesus Christ. Does that make sense, guys? I'm not trying to berate us. I'm trying to confess. <laughs> I'm trying to confess my own thing. That is, you know, as pastor's kids, no, don't do this. And in the background, I'm going, because, you know, that's not what pastor kids should be, should be doing. Now, that's a reflection on the pastor. If you taught your children morality, you've done a well. You've done well. You've done a good thing. It's biblical truth. But morale, morality without the gospel, morality without the need that they have to have a savior in their life, is very temporary, guys. And, and it's always an external approach, it's never an internal approach. How frustrating it would be to try to live morally correct when you don't have an inward power called the Holy Spirit empowering you to do the things that are really hard to do. Does that make sense? How many of y'all struggle with just living righteously and you have the very power of God in your lives? Can you imagine trying to live righteously without the power of the Holy Spirit? So we don't negate... Morality. We make much of it. That's what it says here. I I think it's talking about, okay, man, from the time that they're little, you start teaching them the right truths of God. But grow them up in a culture where they can see that the only way that they can truly, truly live this life out is through the redeeming work of Christ. Real victory in the battle with self-centeredness does not come from external purposes. It comes from an internal change of a heart. Look what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. This is kind of key. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. External or internal? Is he talking about, hey, all these external rules? Was Paul good at keeping the rules for you that know the the Bible and his background? He was excellent. In fact, it was a point that very easily could have been a point of pride. When Paul took the morality test, he scored an A every time in comparison to other men. And yet he's the one that exposed to the gospel, said, I am the chief of all sinners. So how do you get this guy that would have been of moral excellence in one way, and yet now he comes to confess he's the chief of all sinners? Because God opened his eyes. That it's not all about him, his own sinfulness. And this is the greatest challenge of parenting. I mean, it's hard enough just to teach them morality. Anybody remember the first time, and, and I, I don't want to make a distinguishing uh, between guys and girls, but I am, since I had two girls. <laughs> I don't know, there's something about my nature as a little boy it seemed like lying was just a natural part of. Oh yeah, yeah. he's a boy. He's going to stretch the truth. He's going to. But parents, can you remember the first time that your little son or your daughter lied, and you knew without a doubt that it was a lie, and they did it with a straight face? They did it with notes, you know, like of course. Was that heartbreaking when you're going? <laughs> It's so obvious you have sinned. And it shows us there's a need beyond just morality and teaching. There's a need that we have inside for the hope of Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 14, and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who's for their sake died and was raised. Now, we really don't talk like that anymore as far as he's he got a lot of phrases in here uh, that may not seem fluid. But let's break this down. And I want you to see three major points here. First thing he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Can the love of Christ control an unregenerate heart? Somebody who does not have Christ in their heart. It can influence, you know, we can have morality in the truth of God. Again, we make much of the truth of God, but can it control us? No. I mean, the only hope that I have to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I promise you, is that the love of Christ would control me. And yet, how many times would we say that's a really challenging thing, even for the redeemed? I would say impossible for the unredeemed. We can do some moral things, external things, but we can't do it internal. And we certainly can't be controlled. For the love of Christ controls us. That word control there means action from pressure. Paul's not saying this to like God's twisting our arm or some kind of militaristic kind of form there. But he says that when Christ comes in, now we have a new motive. We have a new foundation. We have a new heart, the Bible would say, to love differently. And the second key then, we go on in the verse, okay, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Paul is saying that the love of Christ controls him because he's concluded something in his life. What did he conclude? That Christ died for him. See? Go into to the next slide there. I'm sorry. Uh, my bad. Go back. Because we've concluded this. What have we concluded? That one has died for all, therefore all have died. When we come to the understanding that Christ has died for us, that there truly is this redeeming work that God has done... Now all of a sudden, not only does the love of Christ control me, but now there's this foundation that I have to not think about self, but to think of others. And it's not just an external morality clause. Now there's something that actually happened in my heart. I feel like I'm going to say this about a thousand times this morning, but does that make sense? And the reason I ask that question is because I want to make sure that we're kind of connecting these things that, that Paul is saying there. The love of Christ controls us. This can only happen in a redeemed heart because we've concluded something. We have faith. We put faith in something. If I put faith that it is better to love, then all of a sudden I've changed that very sin nature. I, I, I've changed the, the thought process that makes me want to be the center of my own attention. I mean, it may sound like a very simple argument, but yet it's one that escapes so many people. We serve out of fear. We serve out of tradition. We serve out of duty. And Paul is saying, no, we serve because we realize that God gave his son and his son died for us. Now, follow the bouncing ball here, okay? The love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that Christ died for us. Now look at the last part, verse 15. And He died for all that those who may live might no longer live for themselves. But. What is the word but used here for? To give a difference. To show a contrast. The sacrifice of Christ has happened so that we might not, that we might no longer live for ourselves, but what? For Him who for their sake died and was raised. External or internal? We just honored veterans today or made an intent to honor those. Do you have to be a Christian to be a veteran and lay down your life? Is it a good thing to do to to think of something bigger than yourself, like freedom? Yeah. So you can do this through the external and there's a part of us because it is God's truth that says, okay, this is good. There's something bigger than myself. And yet to truly, truly have this change in life it has to start with realizing that God has taken out my heart of stone and He's replaced it with the heart of flesh. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about here. Might no longer live for themselves, but for Him, for who their sake died and was raised. His life is controlled by the love of Christ because he's reached the conclusion of what Christ has done, and this compels him now to live differently. This is the Christian life. This is the difference between external motivation and internal change. The controlling nature of Christ, power of Christ, love of Christ. We come to a conclusion that makes sense and we place faith in that, and it compels us, at that point, to live for him. It's a spiritual battle, folks, and it can only be dealt with spiritually. You want to prepare your children to, to live wisely, that the world's not all about them? You can do morality. And especially if it's biblical truth, this is helpful, but nothing is going to change until they have a heart change. All we can do is put them in a gospel centered put them in an environment of the gospel to where God in His grace and His mercy one day will open their eyes to their sin and show them the beautiful Savior that He's provided. That is our hope and our prayer. It is not to have moral children. It is to have redeemed children. And that this redemption then is the core of the basis of the rest of their life that they're controlled by the love of God. They come to the conclusion, so it's not mom and dad telling them to do this, but they have made that decision, and now they are compelled to live for Jesus Christ. Isn't that every parent's joy? One of my favorite authors, uh, Paul David Tripp, wrote a book years ago, Parenting. I I would suggest every Parent to to read that it's it's a great great book, Um, and I love how he starts out a chapter uh, in chapter one on the calling of a parent, and he says this: Nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. Is he insinuating that we have the ability to save our children? Is he saying that we can create an environment? Based on God's truth and God's love and God's provision of the gospel. Where our kids would grow up in such a culture. They would almost seem natural. And I have to be very careful theologically to use that word here. But that we would develop a culture where that just becomes almost like, of course they're going to be saved one day. Of course they're going to trust Christ. Christ. Truth is, guys, your kids are going to be culturized by something. They will not remain without a culture to grow up in. And it is our great privilege and our great calling to make sure that we grow them up in a gospel culture where we lovingly and gracefully point out their sin, where we lovingly and gracefully point them in the direction of truth. And we lovingly and gracefully tell the story of our own life and the redemption that God brought into our life when he saved us. So how do we do this? You can't fully teach what you haven't fully embraced. To put it in Paul's words, unless you're compelled... Don't expect your, your kid to naturally be compelled, okay? doesn't mean that if, if you didn't come from a Christian background, that your, your child can't trust God and, and, and His provision of Christ. No, there's probably a lot of first-generation Christians in here this morning. But you don't come from generations and generations of, of redeemed Christians. And God opened your eyes to your sin and to the beauty of a Savior, and you're the first one that you can see in that family tree that's really put their trust in Christ. It's called grace. It's, called, it's wonderful. You can start that now in your child's life. But there's also a lot of us in here that would be able to say, no, I grew up in a gospel culture. Didn't always appreciate it for what it was. I always thought they were trying to force their religion on me and this, that, and the other. And, and yet now maybe you can sit back and say, thank God, praise God that I was raised in the, in the culture of the gospel. Truth is, your kids will be raised in a culture. Both in your home and outside your home. And the great call of God in our lives is to so develop the culture of the gospel within the home, that as they go outside the home, that they would be able to tell the difference. And they would be able to say, no, that's not truth. Not just from a moral perspective, but from a redemption perspective. So I'm going to say it one more time. Does that make sense? The reason I keep on pointing it out is because I, I was raised, for the most part, in a church if I go back in, in, in honest evaluation, was much more about morality about than redemption. Much more about being a good kid and doing the right things than my need for Jesus Christ as a Savior to give me the power to live a different way, to be compelled, to be controlled by the love of Christ. I, I can only think of one thing that's more frustrating than being lost, and that is trying to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we teach kids just morality, just morality, the laws and the the black and the white of of this and this, don't do this and, and do these things, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the grace of God, without the hope of Christ, how frustrating that is. Number two, continually point to others point them to think of others instead of self. Uh, Very practical. This is things like sharing toys. Uh, Doing things like I serve and and others where they're, they're giving to other things. Operation Christmas Child. You know, they're packing that thing. Ooh, I want that. No, this is for somebody else. It's as simple as date nights. What would a date night with your spouse teach your kids that it's not all about them. I mean, just really practical things that we surround them with just things that constantly remind them we love you, you are a joy to us, and yet there's a world outside your existence. And we start when we're early. Last, as we close, actively direct them from being the center of everything. Do you think that we're more challenged today in 2023 to make our kids the center of everything than maybe 1923? Just culturally? I I think so. I think every kind of part of our culture just makes so much of kids. If you're, if you're a kid in here, I'm not putting you down whatsoever. Total respect. But if we make you the center, kids, if you're in here, and we make you the center of everything, we have failed you. Both in a practical way, but in a spiritual way. The greatest gift that we can ever give our kids is to grow them in a culture where the gospel is pronounced, is practiced, and is shown with an amazing amount of grace. And when they see in our own lives our need for a savior, my daddy needs a savior, my mom needs a savior, then we have passed on the greatest truth that we could ever pass on to our kids. Let's pray. Father, I don't know if I've said it right. I, I don't know that I've even begun to do justice to your amazing word this morning. I just know my heart, Father, and my heart this morning, Father, growing up when morality was way more pronounced than my need for redemption. Father, I I love these people. I love these parents. I, I love these grandparents. I don't want us to make that same mistake. Morality, Father, your truth is important. It guides us. It corrects us. It directs us. Your word says, pass this on to your children. Talk about it all the time. And yet, Father, without the redeeming hope of Christ and the coming of your spirit within us to live out this life, to be controlled, as Paul said, to be compelled, then, Father, all we've done is external when our greatest need was a new heart. So, Father, this morning, help us just to to, to pledge anew to raise our kids, our grandchildren, in a gospel-centered home, to talk often of our need for you in our lives not just that we needed to be saved, but, Father, that we continually need to be saved from our own flesh. And, Father, I pray today that we would grow homes where, it, Father, it just seemed like it was almost impossible for our kids not at, at some point in their life, of their life Father, to, for you to open their eyes, show them their sin, And show them the beauty of the Savior that you provided for us. May we participate, Father, in creating a culture where you do redemptive work in our children's lives. And we would have given them the greatest gift, the greatest heritage, the greatest future that we could ever imagine. We love you, Father. And we thank you for the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online